My name is Jeff Peltier. I'm a trail runner and filmmaker from Vancouver, Canada. Um, I make films about my, my races and adventures, and um, I tend to do longer races, um, 100 miles, 200 miles plus, and um, of course, a few stage races as well. Uh, Grand to Grand Ultra was my first stage race back in 2015, and I've done a couple more since then. Thanks, dude. Well, it's good to have you on the show. And I think after, I think a lot of people maybe know you now from uh, Moab this year, where you uh, ran a pretty solid race and took second place, which is exciting to watch. But you have a lot of experience now doing stage races and these longer events. And uh, today specifically, I want to talk to you about nutrition because it's such a an integral part of these longer events. Like yeah. you can't just get by on gels and drink mix for a week. It's a, it's a little no. bit different than say like a normal <laughs> uh, hundred or something like that. Yeah, and stage races and, and actually these races that, that are 200 plus miles actually do have a lot in common. And one of those things is the nutrition. Um, obviously, when you're running a 200 mile race, you might only be having a few naps here and there. So the sleeping and the recovery part's different, but there are a lot of things that hold true. And again, that is that is sort of the, um, you know, how you might eat differently when you're running for several days in a 200 miler. It's very similar to a stage race. Yeah, so let's just jump right into it then. Like, how do you... Like, how do you even like plan or like approach planning for something like this? Because I think if you're going to go backpacking, it's like most people are okay, like maybe three meals a day. It's like way slower pace. You can have just kind of like whatever you want, whatever sounds good because you're not running with it. Whereas in Grand to Grand, for example, you're running with a solid pack the whole time. So how do you approach planning? Well, for me, I mean, first of all, I should say that there, the, the way you plan for a race like this is going to depend on whether you plan on being at the front of the pack or more towards the back of the pack. And it's a bit of a spectrum in between there. Um, I tend to run at the front and I'm there just to, you know, try to podium or to do my best at least. And so for me, I'm favoring foods that maybe are a little bit easier and quicker to eat during the run. Um, but I'm going to be eating the same food as the back of packers when we're at camp. Um, whereas if you're a back of pack runner, again, you're going to be eating meals and things at camp in the evenings, but you might be eating foods that are a little bit different on the run itself. But the same thing holds true for both of those, any runner in a stage race, you should be really trying to minimize the amount of weight you're carrying. When I did my first stage race, the Grand to Grand, I, um, I really, my, my strategy going in was to minimize my pack weight, just to be able to run as efficiently as possible. Um, and that was based on having spoken to a lot of athletes in my community in Vancouver here who um, had done these kind of races. And so I learned a lot from their experience. And what I saw when I got there echoed what they had told me, which is a lot of first time runners at a stage race make the mistake of carrying too much stuff because they, they think, well, I'm not racing to win. I'll bring some extra luxury items. Maybe I'll bring some extra food. I'll bring a Bluetooth speaker. I mean, there, there were some crazy things I saw there, at least things that I thought were crazy. And unfortunately, a lot of those runners, it's, it seems to be, um, there's definitely a, a correlation between pack weight, weight and finishing times. And that is to say that I think the, you know, carrying a lightweight pack isn't going to make you win the race. But the winners of, the, of these races typically have the lightest packs. And often the people who don't finish, or at least who have a very, very hard time finishing, they often have the heaviest packs. And that shouldn't be the case. Everybody should come in with the same strategy, which is carry as little as possible. Because even if you're just walking, even if you're just, you're out there for, you know, just, just to finish, you're not worried about time, you are going to have a much better experience and a much easier, easier time if you have a lightweight pack. And the same thing holds true for backpacking. You know, I do um, a lot of fast packing where my adventures are kind of like stage races. You know, we run with 
you know, big adventure runs, multi-days, we're sometimes carrying a tent or we're running hut to hut. And the same thing is true there. We're not trying to go fast. We're just trying to move fluidly and efficiently. And when you pass people with massive backpacks, you think, what are they carrying? We're doing the same thing. We're all out here surviving in nature. What, why are they carrying you know, an, a 75 liter pack when I can get away with 25 liters? And it comes down to making the right, right kind of sacrifices. You're not sacrificing your safety. You're sacrificing luxury. And um, I think that extends to your food. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Like, I've even just recently I've been on runs where I myself packed way too much for the time. I'm thinking like, okay, I'm gonna eat this much and drink this much, and then mm-hmm. like the effort was maybe, maybe my effort was lower, and then like the temperatures were lower, so I drank a lot less and ate a lot less. Ended up just carrying a bunch of dead weight essentially the entire time, and like for like a, right. a long run, it's not that big of a deal. But if you carry that for six, seven days, like that, that adds up. It compounds and it's not just the weight, it's also the more weight you're carrying, the more calories you're burning, which means the more food you need to carry. And it's a, it's a bit of a, a vicious circle. Um, and also you can get, you know, again, first time runners will often experience a lot of issues with um, back pain, with chafing, chafing on the back in places that maybe they didn't um, experience in their training because they didn't train with the pack, a loaded pack enough. And so the first, the first thing I would definitely recommend everybody does is to look at what is the required gear? Um, and we're, we are here to talk about nutrition, but start with the required gear because the, the difference between a staged race and, and like I said, a fast packing adventure, fast packing, there, there are inherent dangers. You know, if you're in the backcountry, if you're in the desert, um, you know, running on your own, you can get into a lot of trouble if you're not carrying enough stuff. So there's a, there's a happy medium there. Whereas in this kind of environment, the beauty of a race like the Grand de Grand is there is an aid station, you know, every couple of hours, there's water, there's, I shouldn't say aid station, a water, a checkpoint, um, there's safety, there's, you know, there's this framework around you. And one of those things, the framework is about the gear you have to carry. So they're not going to let you run with too little gear. You know, they mandate a puffy jacket, zero degree sleeping bag, all these things. But don't carry any more than that, you know? Don't carry, like I said, a Bluetooth speaker, a book. I mean, these silly things that, you know, we're not there to, you know, to relax and like we're there to push ourselves. So so try not to carry much beyond the required gear. And the same thing applies with food. So you ask, like, where do I start? Like, how do I how do I approach this? The first thing I look at is what's the minimum requirement for calories? And it's usually around, I think when I did the Grand to Grand years ago, it was 14 and a half thousand calories, I believe, something around that. So that's a good starting point. That'll tell you, you know, what's the least you can get away with. And it's, it's roughly 2000 a day for most stage races. Now, having said that, you then need to consider your own, you know, um, uh, sort of, I guess how many calories you burn and how efficient of, of a runner you are, um, how big of a person you are. You know, if you're a smaller, say a, a more petite woman, you might burn fewer calories than, you know, a larger male. Um, so there are a few considerations there and you can start to add calories in from there. So I'll usually run with around 16,000 calories. So not a lot more, but a little bit more than the, the, the required, the minimum requirement of just over 14. Some people might be, you know, 18,000, but you shouldn't be carrying, say, 30,000 calories. So realistically, you're going to be in a caloric deficit and that that part you need to accept. And that's where then the next step is to make sure you're bringing the most efficient calories and to not bring bring dead weight or, or empty calories or, you know, extra calories for that matter. But really making sure that what you are carrying is the most efficient form of energy. 
And that's where it starts to get interesting and it starts to get a little bit complicated. And that's where you got to break out the spreadsheets as well. Yeah, I guess like, let's talk about the complexity of calories because yeah. like, if you look at it, like, I don't know, I did a, a podcast a while ago, I think it was last year with someone, and we were talking about just nutrition and elite racing, like say for Western states. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned specifically that like, he's like, I don't count calories, but I worry more about the carb and the fat intake. Yeah. And that's for like a hundred mile race because you could, you could do like 10,000 calories of pure fat, but you're probably not going to feel like as well as if you had 10,000 calories of like glucose or something. So you're, yep. um, if you're used to running with that. So kind of, is there, what's kind of like the breakdown, I guess, of like, of the types of calories you would bring on an event and why? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought up a hundred milers. So, um, a stage race is interesting in the fact that it's it's more like a series of shorter races when it comes to the running part. Uh, so you're doing, you know, for me, I sort of look at it as a series of 40 to 50 kilometer kind of short end of the ultra spectrum um, efforts. And so I need to fuel during the run like I would be running a race. But then in the evenings when I'm recovering, it's more like I'm doing a 200 mile race or a multi-day event where I'm trying to think about, you know, protein and other macronutrients. And so it's a little bit of a combination. So there's two, there's two different things to, to think about there as far as the types of macronutrients uh, that we're carrying. But at the end of the day, what we're really saying is that you can't survive for seven days on carbs, on glucose you know, on gels, like you said. And that's what makes this so different from a single stage, a single day ultra, or even a hundred miler, I would argue. A lot of people do survive on carbs for a hundred miler. It's pushing it, but you know, to do gels for, for 24 hours, but some people do, but really at the end of the day, you are not going to do this for this event. You need to carry a healthy mix. And that's where exactly you break up the spreadsheets. You're looking at carbs, fat, and protein. And you're looking at the, 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 the mix of those. So what I tend to look at is um, the first thing I'll do is, is estimate my moving time for each day. And again, this is where it's going to differ now for the front of pack runners versus the back of pack runners, where I might estimate five hours on feet for, you know, a 45 to 50 kilometer effort in a stage race. Others might have to double that. But for me, running at that effort, that pace, I'm looking for simple sugars. And in fact, I'm probably looking for powdered um, powdered drink mixes for the running portion. And, you know, normally I would try to hit about 250 calories an hour, maybe even more during a race in a stage race, probably not quite that much, uh, because that, that, that would add up pretty quick. So maybe I'm looking at 150 to 200 calories worth of simple running foods, simple sugars, drink mixes. Then as soon as I finish my run, I'm probably going to need some protein. So I'm probably going to do a powdered protein recovery shake for the minute that stage is over on a given day. And then you're into your powdered meals, your, um, or rather your uh, dehydrated meals. Um, and that's where now you're looking at a mix of not just maybe some carbs, you need to replenish your glycogen stores, but also um, fat and protein. And protein is the, it's helping us recover. And that's the thing about these multi-day races that you learn very quickly on is that you are recovering as you go and you need to be, you need to be, that's the only way to get through this much running. So by day three or four, you start to feel stronger than you did on day two, maybe um, if you're pacing yourself properly. And if you're eating properly, if you're getting that protein in and you're, and you're resting enough. So that's what the protein's for. Uh, protein can also act as an energy source. And, um, and then you also need fat and fats to help you know, with all your vital systems, fat is very important. And um, fat is also very calorically dense. Um, and that's something I learned as well. And so 
I'll usually look, I'll usually favor things like powdered cheese products. And by that, I mean like macaroni and cheese. That's one of my favorite dehydrated meals because bang for buck, you get a lot of calories. There's a lot of fat and there's protein and that's mainly from the dairy. Um, so powdered uh, dehydrated whey products, whether it be cheese or, or dehydrated milk, you can get like, for example, granola with dehydrated milk and you rehydrate it and, and it's high in protein, but that's mainly from the whey. So that's a good example of, of a product with, with protein, with fat, and some carbs that I'll usually eat for a dinner. But what I'm then doing is exactly what you said. I have a spreadsheet where I'm adding up all my carbohydrates, including what I'm eating during the run, which tends to be mostly glucose, as well as what I'm eating later in the day for recovery, which tends to be more fat and protein-based. But I am adding it all together. So when I look at my, call it 16,000 calories, and saying, well, how many calories are from, are from carbohydrates? How much is from protein and how much is from fat? And I'm trying to get a good mix of the three. So we are thinking about other macronutrients in a race like this, which is very different than, uh, than a 50K. Yeah, that's for sure. You don't see a lot of people just slamming protein drinks during a, a 50K or something shorter like that. No. And because <laughs> when you're running a short race, again, during the running portion of a stage race, I am wanting simple sugars. I'm wanting foods that are easy to digest and fats as well. Fats are hard to digest. They can be hard in the GI. Uh, so you don't necessarily want to be eating a lot of fatty food while you're running, you know, whereas you do want those in the evenings when you have time to digest them. Fats also help you feel satiated. And so that's the other thing. If you were to just try to live off sugar, say 16,000 calories or whatever it might be, you were going to be very hungry. Whereas if a lot of those calories are coming from, from protein and fat in the evenings, you'll feel a little bit more satiated and you won't quite uh, maybe obsess about food as much as I did the first time. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that's a, that's fairly common where it's like people buy, um, for example, just like quote unquote running or hiking food, that's just straight yeah. up carbs. And then it's like, yeah, like it's good in the moment, but then it's like, oh, I just yeah. ate 2000 calories and you're still starving after that. And you're still starving. Your body knows what it needs. Right. And the funny thing is, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I remember, um, I, I was at the grand, the grand, my first stage race, I bought one of those dehydrated ice cream bars that, it's and it you know it's it's ice cream and then like the Oreo thing and it was like oh, I'm gonna have this as a treat midway through the week, but it turned out it was just it was all carbs. I didn't really look at it. I thought oh it's ice cream. It's gonna have protein. <laughs> there was almost no protein in it. It was just sugar. It was just sugar. So then all I'm doing is I'm I'm laying, I'm sitting there at night in my tent eating sugar. And what I really should have brought was you know protein or fat. So my next my next stage race, what I brought was a little pack of uh, of. Uh, I can't remember if it was candied or, or, but anyway, smoked salmon in like a little bag with like, it had some oils in it and stuff. And that was the most delicious fatty, you know, I had my omegas protein. It was the most delicious treat. I was licking the bag, licking the oils. Um, and since then I've, I've started to use oils a lot as well. So olive oil is a great way to get, you know, it's one of the most, uh, calorically dense foods and it's got lots of fat um you know so olive oil is that you can bring a little packets of it you can buy or you can just fill up your own little bottle maybe and uh, you can actually put that on top of your meals in the evening so that's a great way to supplement as well so you really are looking for a balance of you know not just total calories but how many of those how much of those that caloric content is coming from carbs versus fat versus protein and that thing about sort of, you know, total calories as well. Again, this is the personal preference thing. So for me, 16,000, I'm still basically starving myself. I am on a starvation diet, but that's trying to find the balance between weight and calories. And I'm trying to move as quickly as possible. And at some point your pack's too heavy to really run. Whereas if you are out there mostly to sort of jog and mostly walk, you can probably afford to bring a little bit more food and it won't affect the fit of your pack as much. 
But again, you want, you don't want to overdo it because if you're carrying 25,000 calories, 30,000 calories, your bag is going to be so heavy. You're going to have pounds of extra, extra weight. And it's again, that downward spiral we talk about, you know, going slower, you're out there for longer, you need even more calories, you know, you're exposed to the heat for longer and you're not sleeping as much. And you really should be sleeping as much as you, as you possibly can in these races. You know, I like to sleep a good 10 hours. I'm taking a nap. I might be getting as much as 12 hours of sleep each night, which is more than I would ever get in my day-to-day life. Let's talk for a moment about uh, personal preference in foods, because like what I run with and what I enjoy while on the trail, is probably not the same as what you enjoy while you're out there. Or maybe like mm-hmm. your luxury item of having like that salmon, for example, may not be what I like. So yep. what, I guess the question is like, what do you think is like the benefit of choosing foods that you know you're going to love versus like things that people just recommend on the internet that you've never tried before. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is a problem or I guess a consideration for a race of any distance. And, and that's where the solution is simply variety. The more options you can give yourself, the less likely you are to, to get flavor fatigue. And sometimes you just don't, you can't stomach something. So this is all about, um, yeah, variety planning for that inevitability. So as, as much as I mentioned, you know, I love the mac and cheese. I always bring a variety. I might bring a, one of those dehydrated pad thai meals and I bring, you know, I'll bring a few different flavors and a few different things so I can mix it up I never eat the same thing two days in a row or two meals in a row. Um, so that's definitely the first step. The second step is simply, you got to test this stuff. You know, you can't be doing anything new on race day. And that definitely applies to food as well. And you need to test it during your training. Um, so if you're, when it comes to the run nutrition, like I said, I might favor, you know, powdered, uh, drink mixes and, um, things like that. Gels have liquid in them. Gels are actually fairly heavy. Uh, so I'll usually do more, uh, lighter weight stuff for during the run, but I would train with that, make sure it works for me and, uh, try to train with it during the conditions you're going to be facing. And that can be a challenge. If you're coming from a cold environment and you're racing in the desert, you know, in the grand or grand, it can be hard to know, you know, what's going to sit well. Uh, it's things, you know, what's digestible, what, what's palatable, but also what the texture of that thing's going to be like in, you know, 35 degrees Celsius weather versus, you know, 15 degree. Um, sorry, I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but you know, in hot weather versus <laughs> cooler weather. Uh, so that, that can be a little bit difficult in a perfect world. You'd, you'd test it in the right environmental conditions, but, but definitely testing it while you're actually moving, while you're actually running. The dehydrated stuff for at night, that's a little bit tougher to test. I know some people will say they'll, they'll, they'll actually try to just live off those for a couple of days, but you're not really simulating the, the environmental conditions and the fatigue and things. So that's a little bit tougher. The other part I think is knowing yourself as an athlete, and this is where experience comes in. So for me, I have a pretty iron stomach. I think that is definitely just like a, something I'm, I'm just lucky that way. I'm lucky that way. I don't, I don't tend to get GI issues. I never get sick during a race. And also I, I'm not the fussiest eater, so I can usually force anything down. So it's less of a concern for me, but if you're the kind of person that does get GI issues, um, you really need to test that stuff and experiment. So that's going to be more important for you for sure. But again, this is that other point of lean to, on variety, because the worst thing you can do is bring all of the same thing and not want to eat any of it. Whereas at least if you have variety, worst case, it's only a little bit of food that might go to waste. And one example of that is I love bars when I train. It doesn't matter the brand. I love eating bars, you know, peak bagging. I'll climb a mountain and sit down and take in the view and eat a bar. I hate bars when I'm racing 
because I always feel like it's hard to choke them down, especially in a warm race. It's so hard to choke them down. And so I just don't eat them. I end up just not eating. I end up favoring gels, powders, simple, simpler sugars. I've learned that about myself, but it took a couple of races with not enough food because I had brought mainly bars. It took that to learn that lesson. So these are all lessons you need to experiment with and you need to learn those lessons in training. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I guess thinking too of like, just like the day-to-day kind of operations out there, um, planning for those. So it's like, okay, you're going to have, at Grand to Grand specifically, you have this seven days and six stages. So like, mm-hmm. how would you go ahead packing your food for say like day one, day two, where day one's like a 50K, then day two is another yep. 50K-ish. Like, do you put everything like in a, like a gallon Ziploc bag, for example, or and do you repurpose and repackage things to cut weight in bulk? Or like, what are you doing specifically when, you, um, when you're packing your food for the week? For sure. So the first step is to plan your food by the day, by the meal, in fact. So as much as I'm talking about week, you know, 16,000 calories per week, 18,000 calories, at the end of the day, what you're really doing is, is you're, you're getting to that number by, by breaking it down by the day. So day one, day two, I might be doing 2,200 calories a day. You know, the long stage, uh, I believe is still day three. I'm doing more calories. I'm running a lot more. So that might be a 2,500, 2,600 calorie day or more. That might be a 3,000 calorie day because I need more run food. I'll still just have a protein shake and a meal for at the end. But during the run, I need a lot more food. Now the day off, the zero day following the the long stage, um, which I should say, if you're a faster runner, that's a zero day. If you're back of pack, you might be coming in very late at night and and you're still sleeping. Um, You need less food. You're not exercising that day. But mentally, that's a challenge. Mentally, you are going to be sitting around at camp, you know, with a lot, not not a lot to do. Um, so you'd be thinking about food a lot. But at the end of the day, you're not burning as many calories. But you might favor more protein and fat for that day. Not as much, uh, not as much uh, glucose, um, not as much carbs for that day. Now, of course, the last stage, you're barely, you're not running at all. That's that's a very short stage. You don't you don't need much for that, and you don't need you know, other macronutrients, you can just have some simple sugars left for that stage. So when you really start to break it down, again, this is where your first step is to think about how much time do you plan to spend out there? What, is, what are your goals for running? And then that you can extrapolate from there and start to think, hey, well, how many hours of run food do I need? How many, you know, am I doing 200 calories per hour? Well, that gives you, you know, your target for run food versus other nutrition. And then you should really be breaking it down by the day. Now, then for each day, what I'll do is I will put everything into, yeah, like a big freezer lock bag and I'll label on it day one. And that way I'm not accidentally eating food from a different day. I don't have to do math. I can just pull up my day one bag and there's my food for the day. I might also then repack some of the dehydrated meals. So I'll probably smash them up with a hammer before opening it, get it into a nice powder, and then I'll pour them into a, into a Ziploc bag as well. And I can just rehydrate right in the bag. And that's a little bit, it's not so much the weight of the bags of these meals. That's, that's the problem. It's actually the bulk. They're very bulky. Now, word of warning, they don't hydrate as well when you do that. Um, they, they don't because it doesn't insulate as well. So some people will actually bring one of those original bags empty and just use that to rehydrate. Like I said, I'm not a picky eater. I can, I can eat some crunchy noodles, so I don't bother. But that is something to consider, especially if you're ever doing this in a colder environment. Um, that, that strategy isn't quite as effective. But in the desert, it's less of an issue. It's cold at night, but it's, it's not uh, below freezing typically. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm repackaging my, my, the actual meals themselves into a, you know, maybe liter freezer bags, labeling them, how many calories, you know, what's exactly in them. And then I might be putting all of that again into a bag for the day. Now, be careful with these bags, though, 
don't overdo it with the bags instead of bags because these bags do weigh a little bit. Uh, the freezer bags can weigh anywhere from eight to 12 grams in my experience. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you have 20 of these, that can add, add up pretty quickly. And this is a game of grams and ounces. You know, those add up to, to pounds and kilograms pretty quickly. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's like if you're if you're trying to save weight, but then you end up like maybe even gaining weight or not even saving as much as you thought because you're multiple mm-hmm. bagging things. Like that, that, yeah, it's just probably because you learn that by experience, right? You do, you do. Again, you just don't want to overdo it with the bags, but you also don't want things to blow up in your in your pack. Um, but yeah, the other little thing I'll, I'll just caution people about is when you're traveling internationally, which is usually the case for myself. I'm coming from Canada there. We don't have a lot of stage races here. And so I'm usually going to the States or internationally to, uh, I should say abroad. I've done uh, stage races in Georgia and in uh, Namibia. And one tip is to bring all your meals in their original packaging. I usually pack them in my, in my actual checked luggage as well, not carry on, um, just to make it easier to get through the, the customs and stuff. But in case they do scan your bags, you want those bags in their original packages and then do all this repackaging I mentioned, do it at your hotel right before the race. You'll have a much easier time than trying to fly with a whole bunch of unmarked powders in uh, in little baggies. <laughs> yeah, I actually got stopped one time at an airport because I had a, a baggie of protein powder, and they they pulled me aside, put me in a room, and did the whole like bomb scan on it because they didn't know what it was. And like, I obviously, well, you can tell exactly. them what it is, but they have to go check. No, it. exactly. It's so much easier to just leave it in the original packaging. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's a good tip. Um, let's talk about the water situation then, because at Grand to Grand, like obviously you have water at camp in the mornings, you have water at checkpoints, and then water um, at camp at night again. So, mm-hmm. how do you utilize the, I guess, the available water on course and in camp to help minimize the amount of weight that you're carrying? Sure. I mean, and this is something that I kind of glossed over because I assumed everybody everybody knew this, but really, when we're talking about powders drink powders, drink mixes. We're talking about dehydrated meals. The whole idea here is to eliminate water weight. That's that's really where weight comes from in food products. Gels, running gels, th- those, are, those are great for a 50K race where there's aid stations and you can pick them up along the way. But those things have water in them. Um, even, I mean, bars are usually pretty lightweight. They're usually pretty dried bars. But um, fruit, you know, of course you're bringing dehydrated fruit. You're not carrying hydrated like you know real fruit um because there's water weight in all those products so this is just again it's an assumption i made that everybody would understand this but it's worth maybe pointing out that there's a reason we bring dehydrated products because water is then available to rehydrate them um there's a difference i should say between dehydrated and freeze-dried so commercial freeze-dried products are actually what we're looking for in most cases when it comes to our meals um you know the the, the name brand meals, they're not cheap. They're sometimes 15 bucks a pop. And part of what you're paying for is the the freeze drying process that they use. It's a commercial process they use. Um, and then they bag it up and they put a little, one of those little um, uh, moisture baggies in it. That process eliminates more water, water content, moisture content, while retaining more um, nutrients than trying to dehydrate meals yourself. So it's not the same as using one of these $200 dehydrators uh, from Amazon and doing it at home. These are commercially freeze-dried products. They, you do get your money's worth in that regard. So again, you're getting more calories, or at least you're getting more nutrients with less weight. And at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do here. So I would definitely recommend don't try to save money by dehydrating your own meals. 
This is not the place to save money. These races are, are, aren't, they're not cheap, right? And we're buying all this equipment. So I, I think I would definitely say buy your commercially freeze-dried meals as well. Don't try to dehydrate. It won't be as effective. You won't get the nutrient uh, concentration that you need. And that's what really what's happening there is they're freeze-drying it. They're removing the, the moisture. And then you, you can put that moisture back in because you're getting water at the end of the day. Now, some people who are back-a-pack runners may actually want to use a freeze-dried meal, particularly for the long stage partway through the day. So for me, I think that stage uh, took me, oh, it was a good 11 hours. It was, it was a long stage. And I think I, I finished second in that stage. And so that tells you kind of, you know, I, I think we were, we, the front pack started a little bit later, I think. And I finished just before midnight. And the back of pack runners had started earlier. And off, some people didn't come in until the next morning. So in that case, you are going to be stopping at some point and making dinner en route during that stage. So again, that's where it, the strategy is a little bit different from the front of pack versus back of pack. But generally, those meals are for a camp. And that's, again, where there's water available and you can, you can rehydrate them. There's water available on the course. You could make those along the way. Anybody could do those on any stage, but it, it takes time. It's 15, 20 minutes to rehydrate and you have to sit there. And, you know, so, so it's ideally not something you're doing during the run itself. But then also the the run food, these drink mixes I mentioned, they're an effective way to get calories in during the run as well. And again, they're powders you put in your water and you are getting water at each checkpoint. So you're sort of, you know, using the benefit there of, of having the support that you wouldn't normally have if you were just out in, in, in the desert on your own and you're, and you're um, using a, a, a calorie-based and an electrolyte, hopefully a highly concentrated electrolyte product. Um, I'd recommend brands like Scratch Nutrition, Scratch Labs. They make an excellent um, dehydrated or, or drink mix, I should say, uh, that is uh, very high in electrolytes. And that tends to work well for people who have stomach problems typically with these kind of products. The one I use more often is from a brand called Knack, who is a Canadian brand who uh, they've grown recently. They're now the sponsor of the UTMB World Series. And uh, Knack's drink mix actually has um, proteins and amino acids built in as well. Uh, so I like that for that reason. Uh, there's lots of different brands out there. So definitely you need, to re you need to experiment with that. So we're using the water during the course, during the run itself with our drink mixes, along with anything else, bars, gels, whatever else you choose to eat while you're, while you're running. And then in the evenings, we're using the water provided to rehydrate our meals. Awesome. So as we kind of like get towards the end of our time here, um, could you like just say you're going to do grand to grand this coming year, for example? I, I know you're not, you have other events going on. Um, but let's just say you're going to run it. Like, how would you prepare for, let's just kind of do like an example of like, say day one, like mm -hmm. what would you bring? Or maybe day two is a better example. You're in the race and like, how would you kind of plan out your calories for that day two, which is about a 50 K distance? Yeah. So for that, I'd probably be doing about eight, 900, maybe a thousand calories for that 50 K because I'm assuming about five hours on feet. Um, that would be about my pace typically for these races. And I think that's about what I ran um, at Grand to Grand. It was about about uh, an hour per 10 kilometers is the way I would think about it as a, as a Canadian. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I'm looking at about five hours and I would probably bring up to a thousand calories, probably again, around 150 to 180 per, per hour realistically. So maybe closer to 800. Now, the thing is, there's a risk on that strategy because what if I have a bad day and it takes me six, seven hours? I don't have enough food. I might run out of food. So the assumption is that as I go, I would adjust my eating as well, because if it takes me longer, it's probably because I'm moving slower 
and therefore I'm burning fewer calories, which means I need to adjust my consumption. I need to be taking in fewer calories than I would be otherwise, or else I'm going to run out. And I would rather be doing fewer calories per hour than run out of food five hours into a seven hour effort. So that's a caveat there. If you're really trying to cut it close like this, worst case, I could dip into my day two food, but that's obviously, uh, you know, you can only go so far with that. Uh, at some point you are going to run out of food. Um, and then I would have, I would have a protein shake. So the minute I finish, I would, the first thing I would do would be to mix up my protein shake and you can buy individually packaged protein shakes, single serving protein shakes. Uh, there's a bunch of different brands, but again, you know, scratch has a good one. There's, there's a whole bunch that have individually uh, packed ones. Um, knack has a, a good one as well. It's plant-based. Uh, so depending on your preference and, um, I would have a nap, you know, that'd be the, the, the second thing I would do when I get back to camp. And uh, I would try to wait as long as possible for dinner, but I wouldn't have a lunch. I typically would skip a lunch. Now, I've tried both strategies. I've, I've, I've also done it where I do bring a little lunch, maybe a few hundred calories. Um, and it, it, it's extra weight. Um, but some people might find that they, that they do need a, a light meal when they finish the stage because uh, they can't wait that long for dinner. Uh, others might find that they can wait. And when they have dinner, it'll be a big one. It'll be a thousand calorie dinner. dinner. It won't be, you know, 600 calories, but really I'm probably looking for a, about a thousand calories worth of food when I finish, um, separate from the run. So I'll probably be looking at around 2000 calories for that first day. And that's going to be a mix of, like you were saying earlier, the carbs, the fat and the protein, right? Exactly. On the run, it's almost pure carbs. And then afterwards it's almost all I mean, certainly the protein shake is almost all protein, a little bit of glucose. And then um, my meal will, will be a, a mix of, you know, it'll probably be, like I said, a, a mac and cheese type product where there's quite a bit of uh, powdered whey, you know, that, that cheese, I should say, and uh, some fats. I might put some olive oil on that as well. And that gives me some extra fat and then the carbs from the, from the macaroni. Awesome. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, are there any like any tips you'd have, like to say you have like a tip on on top of your head to give somebody that was going to run their first stage race or the first grand to grand, what would it be as far as nutrition goes? Yeah. So again, experiment. Don't bring too few calories. I don't want you starving and saying, well, Jeff Peltier told me to only bring 16,000. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to throw out everything you think you know about food and nutrition and start from the ground up. And the starting place is First of all, thinking, how many calories do I burn in a day? And most people, their metabolic base rate might be between 2,000 to 2,500. Um, and then you're thinking, well, how much am I going to be running each day? Well, you know, maybe I'm burning 800 calories an hour. I'm going to aim to replace maybe a, you know, half or a third of that. Do the math, right? So really, this is for a lot of people, this is the first time they really start to count calories. And I promise you, when you're done this process, and certainly when you're done this race, you will never look at food in the same way. You'll forevermore think of food as we should, as fuel. You know, it's what it's what keeps us moving. It's what helps us recover. It's it's got you know, of course, other little benefits as well. But at the end of the day, you know, we're <laughs> the food you were eating for this race is to keep you moving and get you to the finish line. This is not about enjoying food. Um, that's what the rest of your, you know, you will have a few weeks, trust me, of pure enjoyment of food when this race is over. You will, you will enjoy food like you've never enjoyed it for those first couple of weeks as you put some weight back on. I don't want people starving and starving themselves unnecessarily. But again, it's about really thinking critically about how much food you do need. 
and don't just go into it with these assumptions we've developed in our, in our lives of the kind of food we, we eat without thinking about it. Um, so again, for some people, they might need 18,000, 20,000, 22,000, whatever that number is. I want you to have, have arrived at it by using a spreadsheet and really thinking about it. Every, every, every gram, every ounce counts here. Yeah, definitely. Just, I think really it's like, it's one of those things where um, it's, it's a logistical aspect of the race. Like, mm-hmm. like shorter events have maybe less like nutritional planning, but these longer ones, like it, it's very critical and um, it just takes a few minutes to sit down and go over it. And you're going to have a way better experience if you, if you eat appropriately and you're not just bonking <laughs> for six or seven days straight. <laughs> yeah, you need to eat enough food for sure, but it's not enough food to be happy. It's enough food to be healthy, to be moving. That's what you're looking for here. It's also not, you don't need to think about this as, you know, there's people who do these through hikes, you know, the PCT and they're on the trail for six months. And I've heard a lot of people say, you know, these hikes, they're not very healthy because you're out there eating this high sodium, you know, we're talking about a mix of macronutrients here, but what I haven't talked about is micronutrients because you might have to throw your micronutrients out the window a little bit for this week. I mean, you're not looking necessarily at vitamins as much. I mean, we're looking at electrolytes. So there are, there are, there are considerations around minerals. Um, but I'm not suggesting this is the way we're going to eat for the rest of our lives. This is, this is a vacation from healthy eating to think about fueling effectively for a week, recovering effectively for a week. Those are your goals. Um, but certainly this wouldn't, shouldn't be something that you do. You know, you shouldn't be eating these dehydrated, uh, freeze-dried meals for the rest of your life. That's very unhealthy. Unfortunately, we are only doing it for a week at a time with these races, not six months at a time, like on the PCT. Uh, so yeah, you need to eat enough, but not, but just don't carry more than you need. And that's really going to get you through this race. And again, it's a whole other conversation, but that extends to all your gear choices as well. Do not bring anything you don't need. We tend to pack our fears. And in this case, like I said, there are, there's a list of gear that you need. And that list is carefully considered. And so bring that list, but don't bring too much extra above that list. Because at some point, all you're doing is packing your fears. Now, that's very good advice right there. Um, yeah, just as we wrap up, like, thanks for your time, man. Really appreciate it. It's like, you've definitely had some performances over the years and you have a lot of experience. So it was good to hear like just straight from your mouth, like, like how to have a successful grand to grand nutritionally speaking. Um, where can people, uh, yeah, you up so. it's Instagram, been fun and, I, um, and, sort of you know, I, and YouTube, I'm I guess. Always, um, I, I, hopefully I can come back maybe and talk about gear at some point as well. One other little tip I'll throw in here. This is, this isn't related to nutrition. Um, Think about chafing and specifically how your pack feels on your back, on your lower back, and on your shoulders. And a quick tip, I learned this at my first Grand to Grand. The excellent first aid staff helped me with this. Um, Use KT tape and pre-tape any places in your body where you might get rubbing and chafing. And do this before the rubbing starts. So for me, it's on top of the shoulders and it's my lower back. Because if you wait too long and that skin rubs off, it's too late. And so again, we're, we're talking about trying to minimize pack weight and, and, and not just that, but volume, making sure your pack feels good when you're moving. Um, so that's sort of tied in, but uh, a preventative measure is definitely a pre-tape. For sure. So um, let's just wrap it up here then, man. I really appreciate it. Um, can we find you on Strava, Instagram, YouTube, and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, Strava, uh, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. Um, and I have a couple of races for my more recent stage races on there. And I do go into detail on strategy and you see my recovery process and everything. So if you want to see how uh, one of these races is run from from the front of the pack, my first one I, I finished in 
uh, my first one of those films, I finished in fourth and the second one I finished in second place. And so you can kind of see how that's all, how that comes together with really this, uh, you know, minimizing weights and, and training and everything that goes into it to, to finish on the podium in a race like this. Definitely. And I'd say for anyone watching, like I'll, I'll put a link in the description on YouTube and in the show notes and stuff, but definitely watch some of your videos. Cause you can, I think you, you can glean a lot of information by watching other people and seeing what mistakes they made and maybe adapting strategies to, to whatever you're doing and, and vice versa and whatever. So um, definitely check out the, those videos. Cause they are very, very interesting and fun to watch. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. And um, we'll have to talk soon.